0: I'll be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing... Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! Derek, this is the virus You hereby waive your right to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two, per the State versus Neville Reed, my colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, Terms and conditions may change or be updated. Whatever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves
1: notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up.
2: I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town.
1: Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket?
3: What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket.
2: Describe the rocket, sir.
0: Does this mean we're not friends anymore? My pain, my me. You I'm That's
2: in me. my pride yeah. cool? I'm in my pride I'm in my I'm in now you want to kiss me. Whoa. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Hey y'all, what's up? DJ Nubis here with you on the metal radio podcast the hordes of chaos episode 163 a lot to get to today with y'all uh but i won't keep it too long not any more than usual uh so i'll be talking a little bit about march madness because the finals did happen and it was pretty exciting um so i'll get to that just to close that up because i know i was talking about a little bit the last couple episodes and then uh very cool documentary about the band X Japan, which I know very little about overall because I, I, I knew of them, just didn't really hear a lot of their music. But the doc itself has made me want to go back and really check out a lot of their material. But the doc was really good. Uh, it's also very uh, emotional in parts. Like, you know, it's kind of interesting watching these bands put together these documentaries later in their careers because there's so much more emotion behind it rather than stuff when they were kids you know because you know your viewpoints on life and the world change a little bit as you get older and you kind of have time to reflect on stuff and that's a lot of times like if you ever seen the anvil documentary like those guys at this stage you know are still trying to put out music and you know tour when they can but it's like emotional turmoil because they got families and everything else so we kind of get a little bit of that with this band X Japan because even they're older now, they're still doing. They you know, they just got together for a reunion in 2014, but it didn't come out with, without some costs, and I'll dive into that when I get there. But uh, gonna talk about the series Yellowstone, and uh, I got a lot to say on this now because there's also been a change with how I'm gonna be about with me going forward with the series, which people will be kind of shocked, but I'm gonna get into why. Uh, and then just uh, the end of lot towards the end of the podcast, I've got some uh, various TV series and movie news bits I'm gonna get to with you all, uh, Just general information really. As, as well as a lot of great new music coming your way, I've got uh, a lot of stuff from uh, promotional starts like Grand, uh, Grand Sounds Promotions, the Metalist PR, Vlad, Skyfire, Atomic Stuff, uh, Quabar, think they're in there somewhere or maybe not this time around but i got some against pr metal message stuff like that plus a lot of new stuff as well including brand new Meshuga. kicking off our first block as well we got andromeda in here as well satan but here's Mushuga from their new record this is called armies of the preposterous
0: From Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neco at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now.
2: Alright. We are back, and we're gonna talk a little bit about March Madness, the finals. So the final four got down to Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, and Villanova. Now, if you listen to the last couple of podcasts, how I talked about my bracket was shit. Well, that's true, and it kind of finished that way. I ended up losing to the other player I was against because he had picked more correctly than I had, like I said, in the last Hordes of Chaos. um Had Villanova got to the finals, at least, at least got to the game, I probably could have made a a lot of ground there. Um, Unfortunately, Kansas took care of that and beat them in the final four to get to the championship game. And then, uh, you know, as much as I hate Duke and Carolina, I was kind of pushing for Duke because Coach K, who's the head coach of Duke, is actually a very good coach, and I think he's going to retire after this year. I think this was his last year, but... Uh, for him to get his team to the Final Four uh, in his last year is like amazing job there, but even more amazing, of course, as uh, how Carolina, who really has an A seed, I did not expect them to get past the first couple of rounds, um, but they went on a tear and uh, were winning pretty good, and believe it or not, in the championship game on Monday, they were up 15 points so up 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 by 15 on on Kansas, going into halftime. And really, it was you know th- this game was like a tale of two different halves, really, because when the second half started, uh, Kansas went on like a nine to three run, uh, hitting you know a couple of threes and just you know, and all of a sudden though, Carolina, which had played wonderfully in the first half uh just wasn't playing very well like they really they were missing shots they were making you know costly mistakes turnover wise and uh so kansas was able to get back in the game and really getting within the last two or three minutes it really went back and forth the lead change i mean kansas got up and i think it was like about about a minute or so left uh North Carolina took a 69-68 lead. Um, But that was the last time they would have scored because uh, surprisingly enough, Kansas got up. They were able to get up 72-69. So they're up by three at this point with about, I don't know, it was like 20-something seconds or so. And Kansas actually had the ball, but they made a turnover mistake, which then gave it back to Carolina. So Carolina still had about... Fifteen or sixteen seconds. So all they needed to do was hit a three uh, to basically put it in overtime, and they came close, uh, but they did miss the final shot, and Kansas became the winner. But according to history and everything else, this was the biggest comeback for a team in the finals like in, in many, many years. So. Uh, Hats off to the Kansas Jayhawks uh, for getting it done. Like, no matter how your brackets are, no matter what teams you root for, the March Madness is one of the best sporting events in all sports. Uh, And it just shows you that, you know, when we go back to hear Neck and I talk about Virginia a couple years ago uh, making the run that they did and some of the games that they won, like you just wouldn't believe it. And... But this happens a lot like I, I remember watching one year uh, probably like maybe six to eight years ago, I don't know, but Villanova was playing North Carolina in the championship and Carolina had gone up within like it was re- literally down to the last fifteen seconds. Uh, Villanova drove the court and you know a lot of times those those last shots don't always go in but this dude, For Nova, at the top of the key, hit the three-pointer and gave him the win at the buzzer. And it's like, those are the kind of reasons why you watch these games, you know. For me, Neko and I, watching Virginia and how we watched that whole tournament play out, you know, in terms of nail-biters and thinking that, oh, my God, we're going to lose this game because we're down by, you know, three or four points with almost nothing left, and then they found ways to win. Like, it's just... Those kind of things, along with the Broncos, you know the history that I have with them, and some of the stuff that Elway did as a player, winning some of the games that he did that you just never thought we could win. Uh, you know, I got to see the Avalanche win a couple of uh, Stanley Cups, you know, in the late '90s. But you know, it's when these teams that you root for are able to win ball games and win championships or Super Bowls. Uh, the way to like even in two thousand and fifteen the Broncos did against Carolina uh, mainly with the defensive effort and like you just the way that our defense dominated that game, like you just like it's crazy. but at the college level and even sometimes in football, football's not as not as easy to get upset. you do get them, but not like on the level that you get them in basketball because here you have sixty five teams. Basically, sixty-four. They have like playing games, but you basically have these sixty-four teams that are vying for a chance to play for the national championship. And it's like once they get in that bracket and then in, in that tournament, like anything can happen. And I, we and this year was no different than any one we've seen before, where you know before Virginia won their championship a couple of years ago, they lost. As the number six, number one seed against the 16th first ever to UMBC, but that you know as bad as that is for me as a Virginia fan, that's a great story for UMBC. Uh, But this year, uh, a school named Saint Peter's went on a run. They beat three or four great teams in the tournament that were higher seeds before losing to Carolina, I believe. And that's the thing. Like it, those are the kind of things that you would like to experience as a fan of the of the game itself. So I did, you know, even though I, I, even though I'm happy Kansas won, just because I'm not a Kansas fan, but I, I don't really like North Carolina. I can appreciate what Carolina did, just like do. Uh, and really, honestly, they represented ACC well because on the other side of the bracket, where Kansas and Nova was, uh, Miami. I think, was the one that lost to Kansas first before Nova. And, like, Miami got further. They were a 10th seed and got all the way up to the sweet, uh, lead eight. So, you know, three ACC teams to get that far when really people thought our conference was, like, one of the weakest is quite amazing. Uh, so, from a conference perspective, that's amazing for me, like, as a fan of that particular conference Um so, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to pass along that. You know, it was an epic comeback for Kansas to do that. You know, they had kind of a young team. Uh, it's not like Kansas or North Carolina are, you know, it's like it's not like they're not accustomed to being in championship games. They're both, as, as schools have been there quite a bit. I think this one was, like, in totality, like, Kansas' eight championship over the course of 70-something years. Um Obviously, North Carolina is most notably known for the home of Michael Jordan, and they won it with him there as well when he was there. So even though these two teams aren't strangers to being in the big game, uh, just the tournament itself is so amazing to watch. And, you know, I kind of, like I said, you know, in the last podcast or the one before, you know, when i was choosing my bracket I as you know when they first set it up for the first round and they they have this like little uh exclamation mark or question mark and you click on it and it tells you each team's record and like their strength of schedule how many teams in the top 25 they beat and i was going through that the entire time as i was you know setting up my bracket and uh you know, this year I base it on strength of schedule. I was like, okay, this team played probably eight top twenty-five teams. They went, and some teams will go like six and one, or you know, whatever. How, however, many games they play against the top twenty-five, and then some teams will be three and three against the top twenty-five, and then there's others that are like one and four. What, whatever, how many games they played, right? So, I made my choices based on that. So, if you had, like, for instance, uh, common sense would have told me that San Francisco wasn't ready to make the kind of run that I thought they might. Uh, in fact, I think I think they lost their first round game, which I had picked them to win in. I can't remember who they played, but you know it was going to be an upset. And I was like, well, you know, here it is. I'm looking at both San Francisco and this other team they're playing. It's the higher seed. Their strength of schedule and everything else seems a lot weaker compared to San Fran and so I'm thinking well maybe San Fran's one of those sleeper teams that you know will sneak up on you because if I would have went with the higher uh ranked team that would have been the safe bet which of course they did win but sometimes those are the games that trap you you know like no one would say when UVA lost to UMBC, that UVA is going to lose that game. Like, even if I looked at the stats, I would not have said to myself, well, UMBC has a tougher schedule. It's not true. Just in that case. But those are the kind of things that just happen because if your team doesn't bring it that particular game, yeah, you're fucked. But that's, you know, there were other picks I had that were right on. There were some upsets that I did pick, right? And, uh, that's kind of the fun of it because you can sit there and say, oh, yeah, I called this one, so I feel good about this, you know. Uh, but, you know, most of the, my games that I picked didn't turn out that way, especially as it's, as the bracket went on. Like I'm like, I think my final four was supposed to be Nova and Kansas, which were correct. But then I had Gonzaga and Purdue, I think, is the other side of that. And Gonzaga was chosen to play Nova in a championship game they never got there they didn't even get past Duke uh and then of course Purdue lost to somebody it might have been Carolina or someone else uh, along the way but that kind of fucked me on that side of the bracket altogether but <laughs> it's fun you know as long as you're not like me I don't play for money so I don't lose anything by just having fun with it but uh, as far as the sports part I know we don't talk sports too too much in here but if you are a sports fan I hope you enjoyed that game and hope you enjoyed that that tournament because that's what makes it fun and it's a lot of fun to do that and usually it's better when Neko's here we can have fun watching it but uh, you know it is what it is in our next block here I've got some uh, classic stuff from cancer I've got some new stuff from Dragon Breed provided by the Metalist PR. And then I also have uh, stuff provided by Grand Sounds Promotion from a band called The Scum, which is going to kick us off. This is Winds of the End.
3: 70 years old, started eating it every night. 20 milligrams, my mom says. Dad's eating 20. That's what I said. I was like, that's a lot. I goes, are there any side effects? She goes, other than the fact that he calls me bro a lot? No. (laughs) We go down to Tampa, spend some time with my parents. We're out on their dock, my whole family, my dad, my mom. You can tell when my dad's weed kicks in because he starts humming Jimmy Buffett songs. (laughs) All of a sudden, he just pops up turns around us, he goes, who wants to talk to an owl tonight, huh? I look at my mom, I go, how much weed is Harry Potter eating? My mom's like, no, he talks to an owl every night. Show him, Albert. My dad just gets on the edge of the dock and goes, hoo! My idiot kids are like, Papa, should we hoot too? He's like, yeah, come on, girls, we'll all hoot. Let's do it. Here we go. Hoo! Now the three of them are on the edge of the dock like three crips letting them know cops are in the neighborhood. Hootie! Five minutes goes by. Five minutes! We don't hear a sound. I look at my dad, I go, hey, dad, maybe we should sit down. I don't think your owl's out tonight. He's like, yeah, that's crazy. He's always out. Don't worry, we'll try again tomorrow, girls. Pour a glass of wine. 30 seconds later, clear as a bell, all of us hear, whoo. I get chill bumps. I look at my dad and I go, Dad, it's your owl. <laughs> He's like, I told you, bro. <laughs> He's like, I'll get him going. And once I get him going, we can all talk to him, all right? <laughs> and right on top of it, we hear, <laughs> 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 my oldest daughter goes, Dad, I go, shut the fuck up. We're talking to an owl. <laughs> She goes, Dad, I go, wait your turn, bitch, I'm next. She goes, Dad, look across the lake at the old man on his dock. <laughs> sure as shit, there's another drunk, blind, old white man just, whoo, whoo, These two are like Ric Flair in a cave, just, whoo, whoo.
2: Alright, going to talk a little bit about X-Japan. There's a documentary called We Are X, and uh, it's on uh, Amazon Prime right now. And uh, it's a band, it's a heavy progressive power metal band uh, out of Chiba, Japan, uh, that was formed around eighty four. It started really hit, hitting their height of their popularity around the late 80s. Um, I do recall hearing about the band at the time, um, but I never heard any music from them, Uh and even till now, up until this doc, I really had not heard a lot of music from them. Now, I have yet to actually kind of dive into the material. I haven't really gone on YouTube and checked anything out yet, or anything like that. But the the stuff they played in the doc, dude, like I was like very impressed, and and more so because they are pretty progressive. Like, there's some shit in there with the bass player and all that stuff that's just so fucking kick-ass. Now, there's a point where... Because apparently X-Japan was, like, big fans of the band KISS. And at one point, uh, they were able to do like a it was like a live feed to talk to them but of course here's where some issues are that Gene Simmons talks a little bit about in this doc Uh, because X Japan the members didn't speak English at the time uh, there was definitely a language barrier so there's obviously when KISS was on the other end of this video thing they were doing basically an old school video call they had a translator there and, uh, so I don't remember everything they were saying to each other, but obviously the band, X-Japan, was just like, kind of say, hey man, we're big fans of yours, and, you know, Kiss was like, yeah, we're really proud of you guys, et cetera, you know, just the usual, uh, courtesy from band to band. But Gene made a point to say that, you know, during the 80s, X-Japan probably should have been bigger than they were, but he says, because of their language barrier, uh, they never were really able to really make it in the states, and and to a degree I, I agree with that. Now, at the time, the biggest uh, the biggest band that I knew of that was you know from Japan was Loudness. But the thing about Loudness was they were able to actually sing in English, so. Even though they did have some songs that were in their native tongue, they still had a lot of material that was in English. So when the whole hair rock and hard rock kicked off in the mid to late 80s, uh, Loudness was able to kind of insert themselves uh, into that limelight a little bit with MTV and whatnot. And there there was another band, I can't fucking remember the name, but uh, it was another Japanese band that had some success at the time as well. But it is a shame that X Japan was not able to capitalize on that because their first couple of records are rated pretty highly in uh, Metal Archives. And like I said, judging by what I heard in the doc in terms of their music, uh, they were definitely very talented. Like, they probably should have got more notoriety than they ever did uh the band com- compo- is composed uh i think at this point right now uh drummer composer and pianist uh yoshiki and he's really kind of like the guy who formed the band uh, vocalist toshi guitarist pada bassist heath and guitarist and violinist uh, Sugizo. uh So, yeah, you know, they were, they're obviously, like I said, they did a reunion tour in 2014, and when you watch the doc, there's a lot of, like, it's something you see a lot of times with bands is, like, you know, X-Japan, I think they went all the way up to, like, the mid to late 90s before they split up for a while. Maybe they did a little bit of stuff in the 2000s. I can't quite remember the timelines. Uh, But the original basis they had from like 86 to 92 was Taji, uh, who died in 2011. I believe suicide. I think that's what they said it was for him. Uh, I'm trying to find. There was... Yeah, they've had like a lot of. Hyde uh, or Hide. It depends how you want to pronounce it. It's it's, it's In English, it says H I D E Hyde, uh, but it could be pronounced Hide based on his nationality. Uh, he's the original guitarist. Uh, and now there's a part in this film because there became a point where. There was this I can't remember if it was actually Toshiko or Hiay. I'm saying I'm gonna say it's probably Toshiko. the drummer and singer butted heads uh, at one point uh, because something to do where like this band like they pushed themselves so fucking hard. in fact when they say when I say they pushed themselves hard, As a drummer, Toshiko managed to blow out his fucking back and his neck. I kid you not. Like, he was playing the drums younger and throughout his career with uh, X-Japan. And he was headbanging the whole time. Like, he was just fucking nuts. Like, if you think of the the Muppets with, uh, you remember Animal? How he looks when he plays. (laughs) That's Toshiki. He's like that, but he's fucking great. And kind of hearing those double bass in the songs they write and even though it's like power metal stuff it's fucking pretty fucking amazing uh and you know for uh toshi has a great voice he really does and the interesting thing about this band also is at the time when in the 80s like their look they looked like the glam hard rock you know image that we're so used to seeing But the music was like kind of heavier, more in the vein of like sabotage or, uh, you know, something more progressive, Fate's Warning or something, you know, some vibe like that. Uh, But they kind of had these like big, I I, I don't want to say mohawk, but their hair was teased up so high. And they had like the war paint on a little bit, uh, you know, the Asian war paint. Uh, But it all kind of symbolized something too, like, because... Uh, Toshiki or Yoshiki, excuse me. I'm trying to make sure I keep his name right. Yeah, uh, you know, he was also like an artist, and he, the way that they he he was the one that kind of came up with the idea with the paint, uh, the face paint stuff. And uh, but he and Toshi had butted heads at some point, which led to a rift and Toshi leaving the band. And but apparently this was like. A really big deal, maybe not so much with Yoshiki, but the guitars, Hide and uh, the basses at the time, uh, Taiji, like they were all trying so hard to become bigger than they were. Like, this is a band that sold 30 million copies of, of music worldwide, despite not having the success in the US like they wanted. So they had a lot of great success and they were fucking extremely uh, popular in Japan. Like, you see some of the footage of their concerts, you know, back then and even modern day. These girls, like, the, the, the girls that would follow the band as fans, like, they acted like these, this band was like the Beatles. like. But this is sort of like Japan's behavior when it comes to uh, the, the music they follow. Like, it, they, they get really into it. Like, it's kind of funny. We think that... We're crazy here in the States with our metal and rock stuff. But, dude, it, it, nothing like Japan. Like, they are fucking nuts. And it's not like a violent nut, but it's just... They are so passionate. And these girls, like, literally... Um, Ex-Japan, before Toshi left, they had, like, a, a, a final show. And when Toshi's walking out of the, the venue, the, the, the arena... They were playing big ass arenas, it wasn't just small clubs. They he came out of the arena, uh, you know, fans came up for autographs and stuff, and one girl was like in tears. Like, and then even when he had actually left the band, like, you know, the weeks that followed, girls and fans were crying, like, they just they blamed him for like the breakup. Like, it was just like, you destroyed my dream, my band. I love this band, you gotta get him back. And really, drummer Yoshiki found it very difficult to carry on. And it was like just, you know, the, the doc just gives a lot more into the mindset and everything. And Hide, the guitarist, like, he just went into a depression. Like, he, you know, he was very good guitarist. And it's like, he wanted this band to succeed beyond all doubt. But, like, he was pissed not just that. Uh, Toshi, but at Yoshiki as well, because, like, here are these two guys, you know, uh, Hide and Taiji, are trying to ma- get make this band a success with these other two guys, but these other two guys can't get on the same fucking page and they can't get along. And, uh, but there was a point where, uh, like like I said, when they finally got back together around 2012 to 2014 before that reunion show, uh, you know, these guys had kind of hashed it out, you know, between Yoshiki and Toshi. And, uh, you know, uh, they, they worked everything out and they started writing music again. And really, when I listened to... Toshi both back when he was younger, and then of course, you know, around the time the stock was made, which were even around 2013 or 14, uh I don't really see what Yoshiki was complaining about, but I think part of Yoshiki's problem was is that he was constantly trying to push boundaries. Like, you know, it was almost like It's almost like Yoshiki wanted the band to be like the fastest band on the planet, but they weren't playing like that. Like, they were incredibly good. The music was fast, not thrashy fast, but just fast enough for what they were doing. But it's like he felt like Toshi just wasn't able to hit those places vocally, which is surprising because he's got such a high voice. Like, if you guys ever take, if you're familiar with the band or ever take the time to hear them, I can't find flaws in his voice. <laughs> the dude can fucking sing. And even now as they're older, he can still sing. Uh, so whatever it was that Yoshiki was finding flaws in really kind of crippled the band because he couldn't get over certain things. And maybe part of the problem for Yoshiki is the pain that he was going through because of his spinal shit. Because he had to actually get, take uh, pain meds and like you know go through uh, therapy therapy. Uh, he was, I think at one point his doctor said, you know, you really shouldn't be doing this anymore. But, you know, and, and of course, Yoshiki is one of those guys that had a very, very, very troubled childhood. So he's dealing with, like, emotional pain from back then to playing his drums. Like, the, you know, as we all talk about as metal fans and, and if you're an artist who creates the music you know we have this as an outlet for dealing with our pains and whether it's emotionally or spiritually or whatever that's exactly what these guys are doing too and uh, one of the cooler things though that you find out about Yoshiki no matter how problematic he could be on his own end uh, he was a, a classically trained pianist so some of the music when they play piano you can hear just how good he is on the piano despite you know as well as the drums but he was named one of the most influential composers in Japanese history he has sold over 50 million albums and singles worldwide Yoshiki provided music for the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics this is just recently and even has his own Hello Kitty character Yoshi Kitty (laughs) so so He is basically an icon, despite X-Japan being his big thing, despite, I'm sure, the band members themselves, even the ones that have replaced the other guys who have passed away, being a big deal. When Yoshiki walks into a public space, he's immediately recognized. And uh, that's just how fucking famous this guy is. And when you think of like a lot of the bands, rock or metal, that come out of Japan... The fact that he uh, even now like there are other modern bands that are heavier than them that pay tribute to them or you know when they meet X Japan they're like it's like they're idols like because they know that Ex Japan was kind of doing something that none of the other bands were like I, I, as much as I love Loudness and as much as I love the guitarist for Loudness whose name I can't remember probably couldn't pronounce anyway right now I love him to death very gifted guitarist listening to X-Japan they were basically wiping the floor with bands like that, like if they had been able to sing in English that would have changed the entire complexity because if you're someone who at the time especially in the 80s, like even though Rush had started kind of going more poppy in the 80s even if you were a classic Rush fan, you could appreciate X-Japan because of what they were doing. Uh, certainly it was a little bit heavier than Rush in terms of com- uh, compositions and arrangements, but uh, if you're like, like Fate's Warning and Sabotage, like bands that are doing similar things, these guys were like right there with it and they were fucking mega talented. Like it, it was really just, as I'm witnessing some of this old footage and stuff, I'm just like blown away by how fucking good they are. And it's an incredibly great doc because, like I said, there's a lot of pain in there from each. A lot of these guys, they were, you know, when Hidei killed himself, uh, it really left a mark with the rest of the band. No matter what differences Toshi and uh, Yoshiki had, the minute Hidei passed away by his own hand, it really crushed them. Uh, and then of course Taiji had killed himself some a few years later, and again that's another big loss because these guys are like all family, and these those four initially original four grew up together through that band from the early '80s up until around the 2000s. So uh, it's a very emotional ride, so to speak, because these guys you know, and I'm not only talking about the losses with bandmates and stuff, but. The, the childhood and the stuff they had to fight through uh, to get even where they were back then. like It was kind of difficult at times for even their own parents to accept what they wanted to do in life. And Yoshiki's story is very troubling uh, in a lot of ways. So it, it's like you can understand his drive to want to be the best that he can be at his respective art. Uh, but it just also shows you, though, also when sometimes that happens, that ego can become a thing, and really, and I feel bad for Toshi in some ways because when you listen to how he felt at the time, he he was actually internalizing the disagreements with uh, Yoshiki. Like it's like, you know, Yoshiki was kind of a perfectionist, so Yoshiki be like, Toshi needed to do it like this, sing it like this. Uh, maybe a bit of and, and what happens is Toshi was kind of getting depressed about it, thinking, well, man, you know, I'm not living up to his expectations. I'm letting him down, and that was one of the reasons. Now, there was other reasons why he, Toshi left, which were dealing with his girlfriend at the time uh, and some other things, but, you know, it, it, it's all a combination of a lot of different things, but he really did feel like that he was letting yoshiki down by not being able to be the best he even though he was great like i said you, you, i don't think you can, if you can if if some of you seasoned ex japan fans can ever write me on facebook or in our comment section and to me what you think about toshi singing, like i don't find any flaws in him at all even even now uh he has a very powerful voice, so I'm like i'm just am i am I crashing too hard on Yoshiki about his expectations of Toshi or do we think that yoshiki might have been just over overthinking it so to speak like maybe he just wasn't thinking that Toshi was fine he was just always a perfectionist and maybe that affected it but it's a wonderful doc, man. It's called We Are X. and uh, It was great. I, I, I got to really go into their material because I, I think I'll probably end up buying a couple of those records because the stuff I heard was amazing. It, it, like, just crazy good. Uh, yeah, so it's on uh, Amazon Prime, guys. Check it out, and you I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, in this next block... Got some paganizer, new stuff from Sentinex, and then we also got some new stuff from Old School kicking it off called the cult of old school. Skull, excuse me. Old Skull <laughs> It's about that time for the rock block, and today we've got some brand new stuff from Wolf, Naxatross, Atomic Stuff providing a band called Reckless, Quabar PR. I do have some of them, I, I knew I did. Stonehouse on Fire, Skyfire Promotions providing some Autumn Killers, and then to kick it all off, Vlad, my boy. Providing obsolete or obs elite as they would call it. Very cool industrial rock track called Glitch. And I'll be back in a few. Enjoy. a place to take care of all your automotive needs, and get in touch with Stouffers Auto Service in Millersville Maryland. Stouffers takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stouffers is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is a professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find in other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick Neko sent ya. Yeah.
3: everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings every day, but hump day playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays and Fridays, 8th to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio.
2: Closing out the rock block, we did have Wolf with Rasputin. And now we're going to talk a little bit about Yellowstone. So for a while now, probably last two or three months on social media, people have been talking about this show uh, on Peacock called uh, Yellowstone. And it stars Kevin Costner, Cole uh, Hauser, Kelly Riley, and much more, Wes Bentley, uh, etc., and the plot line is basically, uh, Costner, Bentley, Riley, uh, are like, well, Costner is the father, so it's the Dutton family, so you have Costner's daddy, Bentley, and uh, Kelly are the, uh, oldest siblings, and then you have, uh, two other siblings, one sibling dies in the first episode, I don't care if I give you that spoiler, because he's not even in the show long enough to worry about, um... Other than the fact that he has, you know, a good reputation with his dad before he passes. But, I mean, if you watch the show, you know what I'm talking about. Or if you're going to watch it, you're going to see what I'm talking about. But uh, the Dutton family play uh, a family that owns a large cattle ranch and a lot of land and they're in the midst of a battle between uh, the Indian reservation that's nearby as well as land developers in terms of trying to keep their their ranch and their land. So there's like this a lot of back and forth fighting for positioning, trying to get the uh, land stripped away from the Duttons. And uh, you learn very quickly that violence is not off the table when it comes to dealing with shit. I was telling Neko via uh Messenger this morning that this is kinda like Dynasty in Dallas, only a lot more violent. Like you just you have the same kind of principles with the cattiness and the back and forth and to be honest, the the acting is great in this. Um Kelly Riley is fantastic in a lot of ways. Uh if you've seen her in the Sherlock Holmes movies with Downey Jr., um, she plays Watson's wife in those films. Uh, so she plays the uh, the elder daughter, Beth, and Wes Bentley plays the uh, oldest son, uh, Jamie. Then you have Casey and, of course, Lee. Like I said, Lee is gone now pretty much early on in the show. But... Uh, there's a lot of other familiar faces that come through here, uh, throughout. I'm, I'm in, I'm in the end of, uh, close to the end of season two, but I've stopped watching. and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but yeah, like I said, you know, it's it's a really good acting. It's a, it's a very engaging show. Two weeks ago, when I went to get my car uh, looked over for oil change and you know all the bells and whistles to make sure it's running well. Uh, my mechanic and his his lady at works the desk, uh, they have their little TV on in the waiting room and you know they watch Netflix or whatever. So they had this series going on. <laughs> my mechanic actually has <coughs> a big uh, cardboard cutout of the lead henchman or the loyalist henchman to Dutton, which is played by uh, Cole Hauser, uh, a guy named Rip. Very great character, a lot of fun to watch, um, and so he's a big fan of the show. So he was telling me about it. And that, you know, obviously they were watching like some somewhere between seasons three and four. I haven't even got to them yet with that, but uh, the show is very engaging. It's, it's great, uh, like I said, great acting and everything. So I'm, I was watching it. I, I actually paid for Peacock, you know, as a subscriber. And, uh, because I watched the first episode on Peacock and they said, oh, you have to pay for the subscription to watch the other three seasons. I'm like, well, fuck. But we, uh, we, we changed some things and finagled some stains in order to get, uh, you know, uh, to cut down some costs. So paying the six bucks a month wasn't that big a deal at this point. So, you know, I, I'm watching it and I'm like getting into it, but you start to, you know, like any kind of series or movie, you get attached to characters, good or bad, right? Uh, we all have our favorites, and you've probably heard me talk about other series that I've watched in the past where, let's take Sons of Anarchy for a, minute, a second, you know, like I'm watching Sons of Anarchy, getting really into the show. I'm in season four where I was. And then a character dies off that I really liked. And then that kind of just ruins the entire movie. This isn't like a character that comes and goes in the series that you don't give a shit about. Like a throwaway character, right? This was a main character. So at that point, I was like, well, why do I want to watch this? Because it's really ruined the entire vibe of what's going on with this show. Granted, there were still other great characters in Sands of Arnike, And it's like... You know, I'm like fuck, but this particular character, despite not being really a—I don't want to say catalyst—because this person was very instrumental in the series, but especially, especially early on, like just very big part of it. Uh, and then that character got killed off, and I'm like, well, what the fuck? Now I did eventually go watch like the last seasons of Sons because I wanted to kind of get closure about the certain characters that were involved in that particular character dying, right? So, I needed just to kind of see for myself, like, how it played out in the end. Uh, now, with with uh, Yellowstone, it's, it just finished Season 4, so Season 5 is now probably being worked on as we speak. But I'm in Season 2, and I, there's a character that I really like, and... I've decided that I don't want to watch it anymore. And even though this character is not dead, like, it hasn't been, this person hasn't been killed off. But what I'm noticing with a series nowadays is that, you know, it used to be when you watch TV series, sure. You know, when Buffy the Vampire Slayer finally ended, that season seven was pretty lame, let's face it. It actually got kind of lame after. buffy's sister was introduced like this weird ass transference of universes where her you know michelle trachtenberg's character shows up and i'm like okay well this makes zero sense uh but you could kind of deal with it for a little bit but by the time season seven came around it, it was rushed it wasn't well thought out and just wasn't very satisfying I've heard people who have seen Game of Thrones. I've not seen it, but I've heard people who have hated the final season of Game of Thrones. There seems to be this reoccurring problem. I don't know if it's just because when these companies are doing these series, I know it's kind of like, well, we have to always judge by how much interest is still in the series. Uh, So, like, for me you know maybe again this is another thing you guys can write me about fucking supernatural dude was a series that i i I, I gave it a chance like very early on when it first started i said well it's six hours i remember the advertisements were right started watching it and i'm like well you know it's okay but i you know i think this show will probably be dead in like a couple years dude that show went for 22 fucking seasons And, you know, the characters, Eccles and uh, I forget the other name of the guy, but Necco loves them, of course, but they're great actors and they're very good on this show. And, you know, I think I got up to before Necco and I decided we were going to try to watch this shit, which we still haven't, but I got to like, well, she was out the first time. I think I was binging this fucking shit for you know a while and I was up to like season eight or whatever it was. And I started to notice with Supernatural that it just became like a rinse repeat type thing where, oh, one of the brothers dies, then he comes back, then he dies again, then the other brother dies, and comes back, and it's like this rinse and repeat thing where it's like, is this really necessary? Like, it wasn't even like you could be mad that, uh, you know, obviously if one of the brothers had died for good, that would be kind of like fucked up, cause, but that'd be into your show, basically, right? And even if you brought him back the first time, you're like, okay, I can get along board with that. But then it just kept happening and happening and happening. I'm like, this is dumb. Why are we going through this every single fucking, every two seasons where one of these guys bites it and then comes back? And so, even though I'm still somewhat interested in Supernatural, just because, you know, it's sort of like a just to see how it plays out i mean 22 seasons dude that's a long fucking time like that's a lot of dedication on those guys part and the fans part so but i just find for the most part and and in fact neko's gonna love me when i say this and i (laughs) i'm not a gilmore girls fan by any means but that series is how you do it right not only just with what you did with the original series, but what you did with the the uh, Ever After, whatever it was, they did a year or two ago where they did like a four-episode thing to catch up with what they were doing, right? So, and it was done tastefully because, you know, one of the actors had passed away in real life. They couldn't use him anymore, so they, but they used his death as a means of a plot device, which, you know, they got, I'm sure they got permission for, and they did it well, and they were respectful about it. But that when you watch that series, it's done right. Like, there's well good writing in it, it's well thought out. And I'm not saying that Yellowstone doesn't have good writing, but what happens with one of these characters in this series for me is horrible writing. The the character arc is terrible. And sure, I've cheated a little bit because I've gone and I've read up a little bit on what happens with that character a little bit in the next two seasons. People are going to say, well, why are you doing that? Well, I'm like, well, one, I don't want to waste all this time just for me to, like, throw my fist into the TV being pissed. People are like, don't get pissed. It's just this TV series. True, it is. But you're investing time in this shit, people. I have, I'm so busy, I have to be... I have to pick and choose what I'm going to watch and what I'm going to invest in. And... My issue with this one character in this show is that they're driving him to the wrong direction and they're not doing anything to alleviate some of the shit that he's dealing with. And all that while that's going on, I'm growing a very big hatred for the Beth's character, uh, and even John's character, but like the two main leads, I'm like Dude, I fucking hate them, and and because of how their characters interact with this other character, it makes me hate them more. And then I'm like, it's kind of like, if I had to put it in in fun sense, it's like doing a porno, and fucking the shit out of a chick, and then not being able to finish. Like you can't you can't have a, your money shot. Like they, they just decline you, right? That's what it is. It's this constant like. I'm going to dictate you the entire way like pushing the buttons of this particular character and it's fine this character has his own flaws right but at some point that character has either two things either has to have some sort of redemptive moment where there's a sense of redemption or they have a sen- have a sense of vengeance and and revenge that's not happening and this has been going on for basically for the most part three seasons like like i said i haven't seen the last two but i know kind of what shit happens i know what how it kind of plays out here at the end of season four and it's the same shit that i've been watching in in season two and it's like again the acting is great The, the baseline plot is awesome uh i've been told that there is a prequel called 1883 that's a prequel to this that has started up that I should be watching but like I'm like I don't even know if I want to do that because now with this show I'm like this is bullshit dude like who the fuck wrote this and it's like what what planet are you on where you think this is a good idea and I don't know maybe maybe I'm just missing the bus here because I know there's a lot of Sons of Anarchy fans out there who really love that show But I have to have a show where... You know, it's one thing if your characters you like die. But it has to be reasonable. And it has to be logical. And in this case, even though, like I said, this character that I like hasn't died. It's... he's To use Neko's term, he's like a cuck. He's taking this abuse from Beth and John. And... He's not getting any alleviation from it. Like it's this constant bad you know, just crushing down on this guy. And I don't know if it's leading to anything, but if if I'm in season two and I'm feeling like like I wish I was in this dude's shoot because I would handle things so much differently. And Chances are it'd be bad for my me, the character in general, because of what I would do. But all I know is I wouldn't be taking the shit, especially from Beth, that this person does. Which, no way. No way in hell I'd be doing that. In fact, I'd be doing everything I could to piss her off even more. Because this show obviously has people disappearing. You know, what I'm talking about by disappearing, right? So this person who's taking all this crap... You could bet your ass that I'd be finding a way to make Beth disappear. <laughs> One way or the other, she'd be disappearing. Uh, I know people argue why this person won't do the things that I'm talking about, but at the same time, my counter-argument is, is this person has already done some shady shit, some very dark shit, and dark shit to come uh, down the road. So... This person has the ability to handle business one way or the other. Obviously, this person's not a stone-cold killer like some of the other fuckheads that are in the ranch, you know what I mean? Like, there's some others, even in the family, they're fucking more cold-hearted and brutal than this person is. But... You know, I try not to give too much away for it because, you know, if you are interested in this shit or do like this show, you know, I don't want to spoil too much. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm just disappointed because I really wanted this show to be something I really liked. And fuck, dude, for like a season and a half, I'm like, all on board, dude. I'm like, okay, this is good stuff. You know, good. Uh, I've got people, I've got characters pissing me off in real life emotionally. And I'm emotionally invested in some of these other characters, but then, like, you know, all of a sudden more shit happens. There just happens to be one scene where the person I'm talking about does something to correct the mistake that they had done. Hey, uh, he, this person does something to try to correct a the mistake they made against the family. And in doing so, John turns around and says, you know, you basically implied he should have just killed himself. That's what he was basically getting at. Rather than doing what he did to correct the mistake he did, he's like, You should just killed yourself. And I'm like, What the fuck does this person have to do to win the affection of this family? Like, it's. Most people who watch this would know exactly what I'm talking about, so. But I'm just, like, at, at odds here because. I don't want to waste time in this series if this particular character arc doesn't go the way I want it to. And I know maybe that's just being nitpicky. I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. I just, I really think that it just comes down to better writing. Like, this person isn't just a fly-by-the-seat random character. There's plenty of those in this show that come and go all the time. This is an instrumental character to this entire fucking thing. And while it's not beyond me that main characters die off i mean people talk about walking dead and how they're always killing people off so again i, I you know neko and i tried watching walking dead we did for the first season which was okay but then we kind of just got lost interest in it and maybe part of it, maybe we were just lucky because since then you have people that love or hate it and a lot of times people hate it because of the losses of all the characters they really like so it's like I guess if that's like one of your driving forces as a writer or a producer, maybe it makes sense. But then in other cases, I'm like, why are we wasting so much time on some of these other characters who are so evil and bad? And then this one person who's like the less evil of all of them is the one that's like fucking. And maybe it is like a Sons of Anarchy thing. Like again, like maybe that's the same situation where. We're, but from what I understand, though, you know, when it comes to Sons of Anarchy, I know this is a big issue, too, is sometimes actors and actresses move on to different things, so they have to figure out what to do with the characters to begin with. So in Sons, I think the actor involved wanted to leave, and so they did that to try to get out of it. I did not know that prior to what happened. Um, but still, you know, my in my mind, like, you just... I know it's difficult to do it because no one really likes doing it, but if I really felt that a character was important to the storyline, and if the actor wanted to go do something else, that's fine. I would just find another actor to play the part. Uh, It's not like it hasn't happened before. Um, I know people get a little... You know, in this day and age when actors and actresses are filming movies and stuff, and you know, like Marvel or fucking Lord of the Rings. you know you stick with the same actors as much as you can Harry Potter the same thing and that's great when they can do that but it's not always possible I mean uh Richard Harris died when he played Dumbledore for the first couple of films and then they got Gambino to come in from then on and it was fine you know it, you know people got adjusted to it and used to it and then we just went with it so even if this character here is trying to find a way out of the series which from what i read isn't the case but if if he did uh did he just find another actor because i think he's too important of a character to kind of like throw away here and i just from what i'm understanding from people talking about this because a lot of people feel the same way i do whether or not it it hasn't really stopped him from watching the entire series up into season four. So, a lot of the people that agree with me are just. have already been all the way through this. I call myself a little bit smarter than this. I'm catching it now because I'm like, this doesn't make sense. <clears throat> like, I don't understand the logic of everything that's unfolding right now. And I can just see automatically where this is going with this character. So, right now. What I might do down the road, like depending on how long Yellowstone goes, as far as seasons, I might come back to it and then, you know, depending on what happens with this character, like I will read up on it. If it sounds like that there's some, as I talked about, the redemption or revenge uh, point of view that comes with it, great. I'll, I'll re engage with the series, I'll deal with all the stuff that, you know, makes it look worse than it is. But as for right now, I'm just not interested in going forward with the series because just the, the writing for this particular character makes no sense. And it's not a throwaway character, so it's like, that's even worse. And people have, you know, people on, I, you know, I posted a little bit about it on one of the forums I'm on, and some of the people have said, well,. If you watch the final two seasons, they'll explain why this is happening. I'm like, well, I've read up on it, so I know why it's happening, but it's very lame excused. Like, I know why Beth is so angry at, at this person, but at the same time, if you're logically thinking about the situation she's referring to, it's her and another kid, another teenager. And half that responsibility is on her as well so if we're looking at Beth's character how strong she is and you know she has her demons and everything else but she doesn't have any accountability for any of it like other than the fact that she holds herself guilty for something that's really not her fault either but from her kid her childhood with her and her brother uh jamie <clears throat> other than that she doesn't have any accountability and she just between her and her dad they loathe Jamie with a passion I just threw out his name so you know who he is now but they just are so ugly to this guy and there are different things obviously that unfold throughout all this but yeah you know I just I have to be able to have faith that certain characters are getting their just due. Um, especially if they're our main focus in this whole plot line. Uh, there are characters in this show that, even though they're regulars, like if they died off, I could give two shits about them. But if we're talking like main characters, that's just not an option for me. Like I just can't get over that hump. So, as I said, right now, from what I understand, the character is not dead. But, you know, I do know that this character faces more uphill battles with his family, sister, and father, because of the predicament he's going to be in. But if I find that season five or six, if they get that far, uh, start changing his arc a little bit to a, a little better whether he's whether he becomes uh, more involved with family stuff and like, like they heal together or whatever so it could either be that or he just all out fucking goes to war with them like I want one of those two things and even if he goes to war with his family and two seasons down the road and he finally dies I can live with that but as long as I see the character fighting like much harder than what's being portrayed I'm not, I have no interest in this. This is this is like it's like a bear taking on a fucking rat, you know what I mean? Like Beth is like this fucking incredible monster that like is able to eat this brother up and and basically bend him to her will. And he's such a cuck in a sense that he just folds. And it's just very unbecoming, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I can understand the dilemmas he's he's in and what he's trying to do, especially as more shit unravels about his discovery of the family, which only leads me to believe that nobody in their logical mind is going to act like he did towards the end of season four. So I don't know more information more comments you guys are welcome to give them to me i'm always up for discussing shit but let's get back into our music uh one of my favorite uh albums of the year is a brand new accusator um but i also got brand new destruction in here and a brand new evil invaders but here's accusator cease to exist
1: Charlie, you are an incredible medical specimen. I guess that's one of the benefits of waking up every morning at the crack of crack. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's amazing, despite all those years of abusing your lungs, your kidneys, your liver, the only thing you've had removed is your kids. Charlie gets a little confused sometimes. He's the only guy who pulls a knife on a woman who's already willing to fuck him. I
2: drink to that.
1: (laughs) I drink to that shit. Michael, drink to that. But is Charlie really the worst guy here? So he made a chick blow him for 30 grand. Mike Tyson makes you blow him, because I said so. That's why.
2: Yeah, if you haven't checked out that uh, Charlie Sheen roast on YouTube, oh my god, it's so funny. Tyson, dude, you can tell Mike Tyson being there, he is hammered. But he has a good time, you know, he takes everything in stride, he's not an asshole. And really, that's kind of changed Mike's, you know, persona over the last 25, 30 years because of all his negative stuff from the early, uh, you know, the 80s and early 90s. You know, he's managed to kind of revamp and change his image a bit as, as far as a person's concerned. That's good for him, you know what I mean? Uh, but the uh, the roast for Charlie Sheen did, they all take a stride. And, and this is the funny thing. We we talked about this in the last episode with Will Smith and Chris Rock, is that you got to be able to do this. Now, granted, the roast is specifically for this kind of stuff. The Oscars isn't so much a roast team, but it does happen, and we it happens with everybody. In fact, again, Regina Hall did it but uh yeah if you just want last man and have a good time with it check that out there's a lot of good ones on there even will william shatner has some in there and uh alec baldwin etc so and this is before the gun stuff so who knows where they're gonna go with that so i got a few bit of uh news bits for you uh in the entertainment world um so i'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time on them but uh, i just did want to pass them along to you on close in case you didn't know so over the last five or six years, uh, Anne Rice has been working with uh, AMC to bring a life, bring to life uh, a reboot or a reversion of her interview with a vampire based on her book. Now, obviously, she passed away a few years ago, a couple of years ago. Um, so. You know, from what I'm reading this article, like AMC sort of made like a lot of changes. So I don't know if this is changes that Anne would have been fine with or not. But either way, uh, they're changing it up a little bit. They are sticking to some of the plot lines. Like, you know, you've got. Uh, uh, who's the guy that's going to play him? I can't remember offhand. But Daniel Malloy is the uh, journalist who. Uh, is interviewing uh, Louis in the movie Interview of the Vampire, if you remember Brad Pitt and uh, Tom Cruise. So they're going to they're actually use Daniel as like, the main character throughout the series, at least for season one, I assume. Uh, so it's going to be a little more stretched out, a little bit more different. I, I mean, obviously they're not going don't, to... I don't know how they're going to really do it because they don't really elaborate too much, but they do say that this time around Louis going to be played by a black actor. Look, people, I don't care so much, but then like, at the same time, it's like, are we just doing this because modern culture has forced us to, or are we doing it because we actually believe you can do the character well? Uh, now, I think Anne is pretty much on record saying that there is no real identity to her characters in the uh, novels, so maybe that's true, which was fine. But I just thought that was funny when I read that because they specifically said as a production company that they're looking for a 33-year-old black actor. So they already have it in mind that it's going to be black. They're not going to offer the role to anybody else. So I I just, I don't know. I I just, let the best actor win. That's how I look at it. If you want to have some black actors uh, audition for it, great. But if you're just handing it to them, they don't have to fucking earn it it's such it's it's really demeaning really when you think about it with all that said i'm a fan of Anne rice i'm a fan of interview with the vampire so this is certainly something that i would check out and i know amc also has the alienist which they did two or three years ago and neko and i were watching the first season i don't think we never got to finishing that one and i think they're on season three now but you have luke evans and uh who's the other one in there Daniel Brawl, as well as, uh, fuck, who's the chick from um, The Runaways? Dakota? Fanning? Yes, Dakota Fanning. So those three are in that Alienist, and I actually have the book to that, even though I never read it. I just had it because I used to work at a bookstore. But uh, it was a good show, and ANC was doing that. So it's not like ANC doesn't put real thought into what they're doing. Uh, So certainly when this. Gets done and comes out. I'll check it out and see what it's all about. If it's any good. Uh, Another thing coming up on Netflix. I think it's going to be Netflix. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Daredevil. So they're going to reboot this series. With uh, Charlie Cox. Who's playing uh, Matt Murdock of course. We saw him in Spider-Man No Way Home. He had a cameo in there. Which was fucking great. Uh, And really... I, I'm, maybe neck when I've talked about this a little bit, but the when it came to the Netflix Marvel stuff, really only Daredevil and Punisher I really liked. I didn't like Jessica Jones. I didn't like Luke Cage or Iron Fist. Uh, I didn't feel like those really lived up to the standards that Daredevil and like even Defenders was okay because that kind of brought them all together, kind of like the Avengers. You know what I mean? But uh really it was Punisher and Daredevil that was like a lot better written just better and more interesting characters too I mean I've always liked Punisher anyway but uh, so I don't know what's going to happen with that particular character I'm kind of hoping they bring that back as well no matter who plays it Uh, but yeah Daredevil you know Nick and I really liked that of course if you have Vincent D'Onofrio who showed up in Hawkeye so that was cool as shit too Um, so naturally yeah I'll be looking for that. I guess it actually would end up on Disney Plus because they took everything off of Netflix. So it'd be Disney Plus if they redid that series for season four. Uh, and then finally, and this is something that we've also talked about at length: uh, the DC versus Marvel, right? So. There's an article on movieweb.com that says, Why Peacemaker's Vigilante deserves a spin-off series. Now, if you don't know, Vigilante is Peacemaker's sidekick, basically, in the Peacemaker uh, series on um, Disney+. Plus, Or, excuse me, HBO Max. Excuse me. Uh, and really, uh, what's Freddy... Sorry, I gotta get his name before I fucking forget it. Uh, I hate this one, I fucking forget. Freddie Stroma, he's the actor who plays Vigilante, and he's actually quite funny. He's almost like Deadpool without all the superpowers. <laughs> he really is. Uh, he kind of dresses up like him, uh, not in red, but you know, he's got like this ninja suit on. He's got swords. He's actually a very good fighter. Uh, he's actually not afraid to take on super beans he helps out peacemaker in the 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 season one series that he's in with uh but he has a good sense of humor like deadpool and that's the thing like when peacemaker is first in jail to start the season because of what happened in the suicide squad movie uh we really don't know what vigilante has been up to and we don't really know at first like uh, that he is vigilant because it's kind of like one of those things that's revealed like in a, a couple episodes after, right? So we're introduced to the character as just a guy who really admires Peacemaker and is like his buddy-buddy. But Peacemaker kind of treats him like trash most of the time. You know, Peacemaker just doesn't want to be buddy-buddy with anybody. But that's because Peacemaker is dealing with his own bullshit, with his father and his trauma, his traumas, childhood and everything else but as the season goes on we learn that Vigilante is kind of like loved by Peacemaker at least as far as friendship concerned they have a love for the same music uh, and you know really Vigilante has always been there by his side so what I would love and what they're pointing out here is to see a show of his own like, even though DC has kind of fucked up this whole thing the last 15 years in terms of trying to compete with Marvel and you know they were trying to do the same thing. They had these spin off series, these movies, but then they just kept falling back into old habits where either the movies were not very well written, they were trash. You know, they fucked up uh, Wonder Woman 84. Uh, the Suicide Squad was fucked up, the first one. Um, the The Harley Quinn solo film was bad. Even Birds of Prey, like even that one. Even though I kind of did well with you know the audiences, it was really bad. It was just bad. Uh, but then you you know you go back to old reliables we just talked about. If you watch my YouTube video, uh, the Batman. So again, we've got another version of Batman. Uh, who knows what universe he's in? But we got him, and it's a good film. But it's not really attached to anything else that we've got going on that we know of. And prior to that, anything else attached was all like, especially the ending, uh, final episode of Peacemaker. We saw the the connection to Justice League in the final, you know, the final episode of that series. And of course, now they're running into more problems. I even forgot about this: is that Ezra Miller had been arrested recently, who plays the Flash? He's been kicked out of the fucking movies, which they've already shot. So, DC continues to have more and more problems. And even though they can't control shit like with Miller, uh, sometimes you just have to make better judgments on who you're hiring. Now, this isn't me saying this is bad or good, but you know Miller has a history of abuse with uh, drugs not heavy drug, just you know pot smoke and shit like that. And you know, maybe he can be coherent and do the job fine. I mean, I've been around people who when they're on pot act normal. No issues at all. They just go about their business. Even at my own job. And then I've seen people who get on pot and they are useless. And they sit on the couch and do nothing. That's and usually when I do that, like pop cookies or whatever i'm done i can't do shit i'm out for the count either i'm snacking away or i'm sleeping away one of the two so obviously i can't like smoke a joint or whatever and be functional <laughs> like it just doesn't work with me maybe part of that's because of my blood pressure meds or whatever but nevertheless i'm useless now, obviously, Miller's been at this a while now. He's, t- he's 29, and I think when I remember him talking about it for the first time was when he shot uh, Perksville Being a wallfire with Emma Watson back in 2013 or 14. Maybe even 2011. It's, it's way back there. <clears throat> so he's able to do some things, obviously. But, you know, one thing about getting older, too, is it changes as, as you get older, too. It's not always the same. Your body reacts differently, whatever. Whether or not that's what led to all his outbursts and his issues in the bar with harassing people, I don't know. Maybe he just got some bad drugs, or maybe he just he needs like other type of meds. I don't know. But that's just one more element to the DC saga, where you know people saying, "Well, the Snyder cut so great," which it wasn't, by the way. I, I, hour and a half and i was done like i couldn't watch the full four hours it was just you gotta be kidding me right never changed anything uh but you know people saying it was fucked up the first time so snyder cut fixed all that but you need four hours to fix something that should have been done in two hours nah, that's not really how good it goes uh but wonder woman the first one Woman, was actually like the best thing at that point they had Aquaman the first one was good I don't know about the second one because it hasn't been released but you know you have all the drama with Amber Heard in there as well so you have that package going on there as well so who knows how people are going to respond to that uh then you have all the timeline shit dude like the Suicide Squad which was the second one that uh, Gunn did who's also responsible for like the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff and stuff like that is very good. Like, that was well done, it was gory, it had great humor, and they treated the character as great. Like, you enjoyed the shit out of that, right? So there's a couple of movies outside of Nolan's Batman trilogy, or even out of the Batman that came out this year. Those are a couple of movies that are very good. So, and Peacemaker is a great series. So, DC has something with that like they can capitalize on Peacemaker and make Vigilante his own spin-off stuff I think that would make very interesting stuff for people you know the catch is how are you going to connect it like are you going to continue to try to build on that universe which in my opinion would look yeah people are going to say we don't really want to copy Marvel but you, you don't have to copy Marvel you just have to try you have to try to build something And you have to find actors and actresses that are willing to stick with it for about 5 or 10 years. And then you can have your own little universe in DC. If you can do that, you don't have to go on to other phases like Marvel does. You don't have to do that. Hell, you can only go 5 years if you want as long as you're doing things properly. But as a character, Vigilante is very interesting. And because he's just a regular human living in a a super-powered world, that makes them even more interesting. This is sort of like the Hawkeye thing, because Hawkeye doesn't have any special powers. Neither does uh, Haley Steinfeld, who plays the uh, apprentice to Hawkeye. So you can build worlds with that, and people can adapt to that, and like that, it doesn't necessarily have to be like Thor or hulk or batman or robin whatever you can build worlds with regular heroes and some people have said that vigilante kind of reminds him of kick-ass so if you enjoyed those films that does have that kind of vibe he had that character has that kind of vibe he gets beat up sometimes yes he's human he's he got shot a few times and he's very human so but that's what makes him lovable because he can still survive that shit and laugh it off and just do his thing. He's a really good, fun character. So, I don't know about you, but I'd love to see that. Alright, we're going to go down to the home stretch now, kick it off our next block Campfire. New stuff from them. Also, got some stuff from Metal Message and Against PR. J. Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course, everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information Peace Called a Magify. Back to the front! Alright, so we're getting ready to close out this edition of the Hordes of Chaos. Hope you all enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the topics as usual. Uh, got no other things planned. I mean, I will have another volume of Rock in a Hard Place, but it probably might be a couple weeks or so before I get to that just because got a lot of shit going on right now. Obviously, I always get the hordes of Cows in there every week, but a uh, little break from the uh, rock and a hard place for a little bit, but um, yeah, so I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, played a lot of great music today, and speaking of great music, last episode I played brand new No Moss with Exile. Now we got another new track called Interrogation from the same record that's coming out, and uh, hope you all enjoy this band there are a lot of good friends of mine and put a lot of hard work in and they're fucking amazing live and uh new album i think comes out in a week or two i believe i think this is around april called consume deny and repent and uh here's no Mas closing us out interrogation take care of you all enjoy the rest of your fucking weekend